You're listening to the Sabrina Phillip podcast. In today's episode, I share a hard truth. People can afford it. They just don't want to pay you. In this episode, I dive deep into the sales process and share how you can upgrade your sales process to get less money objections. Keep listening. You're listening to the Sabrina Phillip podcast. In this show, online business coach and self-made millionaire Sabrina Phillip shows you how to do entrepreneurship your way. She moved to Bali with $800 in her bank account and just one year later had scaled her business to seven figures. Sabrina has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Goldcast, and Cosmopolitan. Using her signature intentional, manageable, profitable framework, Sabrina helps women make millions online. Currently traveling the world, tune in each week as she reveals the best tips, tricks, and strategies for creating the intentional life and business of your dreams. Here's your host, Sabrina Phillips. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I am going to be sharing a CEO confession with you is that people can afford it. They just don't want to pay you. So have you ever had a potential client who reached out? Maybe you had a sales call with them. Maybe you were chatting them up in the DMs and they seemed so amazing and you thought that they were for sure going to close. And then you get the much dreaded, much hated, I can't afford it. But then a couple of weeks later, you see that they signed up with someone else for an even more expensive program, or maybe they're on a expensive vacation or they, you know, bought something or whatever. And you're just really confused because not too long ago, they were telling you that they couldn't afford it, but now seemingly they can. So before we kind of dive into this conversation, I just want to start with a disclaimer, which is some people for sure genuinely cannot afford your programs or services. And we do have to be respectful of everyone's financial situations. I remember when I was first getting started in my business six and a half years ago, there was a very popular coach who she wasn't as popular back then, but she's very popular now. And she told um, one of her leads who couldn't afford her program that she should sell her wedding ring so that she could buy the program, which is just so yuck and so gross. Um, But I've seen stuff like this happen where people are like, oh, well, like, take out a loan, open a credit card, PayPal credit, whatever, which like if you want to tell people about PayPal credit as an option, sure, fine. But I don't personally feel good about telling people how they should scrape together the funds to work with me. That's just not really um, comfortable or appropriate in my book. Um, I will kind of empower people through the feeling of I can't afford it, but I'm not going to push someone who does not have the resources to invest in my program, not just because it's inappropriate, but also because those people aren't in a great position to thrive in your program. There's a lot of financial pressure and stress that is going to make it difficult for them to show up. Um, that's also one of the reasons why for my mastermind, I have a minimum income requirement, because if you hit that income requirement, then you know my program should be less than 20% of your gross revenue, you know, usually much, much less. So that's kind of what I try to do there with my programs is with those pricing requirements. So I just want to go ahead and have this conversation, um, this reminder as we have this conversation of like some people genuinely can't afford it. This is not who we're talking about in today's podcast. Um, But when you do come across people who, you know, genuinely can't afford your program, don't take it personally, don't push them through it, just keep moving. But there are a lot of people Um, And in fact, most of your leads can actually afford your services, but they just don't want to pay you. So I want us to talk about those people today, understanding that this is a nuanced topic. We're going to be CEOs about it. We're not going to be jerks about it. Um, But as a marketer and a salesperson, which you 100 million percent are those things, if you're running an online business, then it is your job to qualify your leads. So if you have qualified your lead, 
and they are a hot and spicy lead. They're a good fit for your program and they know the price and then they don't buy. They just don't want to pay you, right? Is it possible that one person sneaked through and, you know, wasn't exactly totally honest about their income and resources and like where they were just because they were like curious and nosy and trying to funnel hack you probably like maybe sure it happens but more often than not your leads can afford your services it's just that they don't see the value which is why they're not buying if there's someone who genuinely can't afford your services they should have been qualified earlier and removed from your sales funnel right? You should not have kept putting resources into trying to convert a person that cannot be closed. So for the ones who can't afford it and don't pay you, we need to talk about why that's happening and what to do about it. So the first thing I want to say is when people say I can't afford it when they actually can, it's because it's a really polite way to say no. So they're letting you down without making it personal, right? They're not saying like, oh, I don't see the value or like, oh, this doesn't really feel good or like, oh, I don't want to work with you. They're saying, I can't afford it, right? They're doing the, it's not you, it's me thing, but in business. So polite objections like that typically will stem from a lack of clarity. And what that means is maybe they're not sure about how the offer will work or how it works, or if there's something missing that they think that they can get somewhere else, but there's something unclear. So rather than saying that it's, I can't afford it. And so when you're selling, the sales process is both logical and emotional. So it's logical because people want the offer to make sense on paper. Like, oh, look at all of these things that I'm getting. Look at all that's included. You know, look at all the people who have had great results. Look at the guarantee. Look at the track record. Look at whatever. But then people also want something that's really emotional, that activates them, that excites them, that they feel great about. So when you have both of those things present where the offer makes sense, plus it feels exciting, then you have made a sale. When one of those is missing, then your potential client suddenly can't afford it. Maybe it feels really exciting, but they just don't think it will work for them. So then it's a no. Or maybe it makes a ton of sense, but they just aren't feeling super jazzed and excited and spicy about it. They're like, yeah, I can totally see how this would work, but it just doesn't feel right for me. So when one of those is missing, your client can't, you know, quote unquote, can't afford it. And then they politely peace out. So I want to share that like this is something I've definitely experienced many times myself and it's very annoying. So if it's happening to you, just know that it's not just you. Every single person experiences this in sales. You know, I've had potential clients who went back and forth with me um, in the DMs for like a month freaking out about the price and then they go hire someone else for an even more expensive program. I remember last year, I was like at the Christmas markets DMing back and forth with this girl for like weeks because the Christmas markets were open for six weeks. So I felt like every other day I was at the Christmas market still DMing this one girl and she kept saying how she was going to sign up. She's going to sign the contract. She's going to pay. She's going to whatever. A month and a half later, I pretty much just stopped responding because I was like, this is not a good fit. Um, And then I have no idea what she's doing with her business, but like it happens, right? Like sometimes you just feel like I'm wasting my time here or like I put all of this energy into closing this client who seems like such a great fit and then they bounce at the last minute or they ghost or they disappear. So as a CEO, I need to get curious on why that is happening so I can constantly refine and upgrade my sales process. Now, there are some reasons why people just won't want to work with me. So sometimes I get this objection a lot where it's like, 
oh, like, thank you. Like, this sounds so great, but I'm going to go work with somebody one on one. And I um, don't work with people one on one unless they're already making a million dollars plus. So I get that some people don't want to be in a mastermind, but it's also my job to explain in my marketing why a mastermind is the solution to their problems. Right. I think I'm, you know, a much better coach in a mastermind than a less experienced one on one coach ever could be. Right. Like you could go hire a one on one coach tomorrow for 5K for three months and they could help you make $8,000. Great. I've helped 23 clients hit a million dollars in their business and 21 of those clients were in my mastermind. Only two of them did it through private coaching. Right. So I like I get to talk about that in my marketing. I get to talk about how people grow faster in community. I get to talk about how, you know, as I said, my mastermind produces much better results than a less experienced one on one coach ever could. I get to talk about with this idea of like accountability that people think they need from one on one is exactly why they're not growing because they're just outsourcing leadership and they need someone else to tell them what to do. So I get to use the objections and the mindset and the perspective that people have. And I need to be proactive about that and use that in my marketing. So you have to figure out what that is for you as well. You know, for me, another one that I get is a lot of people don't hire me because they know that if they work with me, they're going to have to like actually build a real business and not just like download a code and get quote unquote activated and, you know, learn some super thing, super secret thing that's going to make them a million dollars overnight. Like they have to like actually do the work and build a real business. And like, there's a lot of value in that. So those people usually sign up a few months later when they realize that, you know, they didn't get activated, they got hustled, but that's, you know, another thing that just, it happens. And so it's, it's okay. Like it's normal, you know, everyone wants something different from the sales process. Humans are humans. So some people want to feel like this is super logical and some people want to feel really excited. Everyone needs both, but some people want one more than the other. You know, some people want to feel safe. Some people want to feel stretched whatever it is, it's my job to figure out what my potential client wants and to reflect that back to them so that they feel really heard and supported throughout the sales process. And sometimes I'm just not going to be it, right? But I don't take that personally because I will always be it for my ideal clients and I'm not competing for their business with anyone but myself. You've probably heard me say this before, but I genuinely deeply believe that if someone is an ideal client, they were always meant to work with you. They will find you sometimes that path is, you know, long and windy, but they end up where they need to be. So I don't worry about someone going off and working with someone else. You know, I've definitely had experiences where I thought someone was such a great ideal client and then they didn't sign up and then they go sign up with someone else. And a year later, I see that they're still struggling and that they're still not taking action. And that would not have been an ideal client for me, right? Like I want people who take action. I want people who execute. I want people who show up. I want people who are vulnerable. I want people who ask questions. I want people who participate. So if a year later I see that they're still stuck in the same place, doing the same things, nothing has changed, you know, maybe I thought they were an ideal client, but they weren't actually, or maybe they aren't yet. Maybe they will be in the future. So I just don't worry about it. If someone was meant to sign up with you, they will. If they sign up with someone else, great. Like they weren't supposed to sign up with you at this time. So don't worry about it. Your job is just to be present, make your offer, provide clarity, handle objections as best you can. So there are three things that I want you to look at if you're getting the I can't afford it objection a lot lately. The first one is have you properly qualified your leads? So I shared this earlier, but if someone is getting to the point in the sales process where they're discussing investment options, 
you should know whether or not that person can afford your offer. So you have to filter out your leads a lot quicker. And that is part of the sales process. It's not about taking every single potential lead ever to a yes, right? It's about taking the right potential clients and turning them into paying customers. The point of the sales process is not to get to a yes, it's to get to a decision, right? And so if that person for sure cannot afford it, that decision is going to be a no. You don't want to spend a ton of time and resources and effort nurturing a lead that is not a great fit for you. You can continue to nurture them through free content, but not necessarily through high touch sales points. So you have to properly qualify your leads. If you're getting a lot of people applying for your program who can't afford it, why is that? Does something need to change with the messaging? Does something need to change with the offer? Does something need to change with the price point? But you have to properly qualify your leads. The second thing to look at is, is the return on investment obvious? Now, I have a lot of clients who are health coaches, wellness coaches, fitness coaches, done for you service providers, mindset coaches. And so they will sometimes struggle with this one because they're like, oh, well, I'm not a business coach. So the ROI is not financial. But the thing is, your potential client is going to see an upside to that if that is something that is important or relevant for them, right? Like there are people who go and they spend thousands of dollars to go on these yogurt treats because they love yoga. So for them, that makes sense, right? So there is an obvious upside for them going on this yoga retreat for people who love, you know, celery juice and supplements and biohacking and all of that stuff. Them signing up with a wellness coach has an obvious upside. So you have to make sure that you are speaking to people who see your offer as an investment with an upside rather than an expense. If it's an expense rather than an investment with an ROI, right, that could be tangible or intangible, they're not going to want to buy it. So whether that return on investment is financial, personal, whatever it might be, it needs to be super obvious so that they feel safe investing with you, right? This is not the stock market. You know, people don't want to take huge, crazy risks. Is there guarantees in coaching? No, right? Because you can't guarantee whether or not the other person is going to show up. But you have to demonstrate, I think, a level of authority, credibility, explaining how it works so that the ROI feels obvious. It's not about making promises to people, right? It is unethical and I'm pretty sure illegal as well to guarantee, I think it is illegal actually, to guarantee a financial return on investment for your coaching program, right? Like you can't promise that. But what you can say is here are some of the results previous clients have had. Here's how we work together. Like here's how I'm going to support you. Here's my intention, right? Like here's how, what this is relationship is going to look like. But the ROI needs to be obvious. It's not that it's promised. It's just that it is there for them because investing in that thing feels very worth it to them. If it doesn't feel worth it to them to get that type of support, they're not going to do it, right? I invest in therapy a lot because I see value in therapy. If you don't see value in therapy, you might not sign up for it because you don't get what the kind of personal return is there. And so then it's just a financial expense and it's a time commitment. So you're not going to do it, right? So whatever that ROI is, it needs to be obvious for that potential client. And the third and final thing I want you to look at is, do they trust you? So selling is all about relationships. And in any good relationship, there is a high level of trust. So people need to trust you and your offer if they're going to feel safe investing in that thing. So it's not about being a nice person, although yes, you also have to be a nice person. 
It's about do they see you as an authority with a product or a service that delivers results? And trust is something that takes time to build. So I would definitely say just like keep showing up consistently and delivering value to your audience. What I typically find is that people who work with me in my masterminds or in my um, wealthy woman program, these are people who have been following me usually for a year plus, and they maybe bought master classes or courses. They binge my podcast. They read all my CEO confessions emails, but they just kind of like creep on me for a while and then they invest. And I don't even typically need to have a very long sales conversation with them at that point because I have built so much trust and goodwill with them over time where they see me talk about my results. They see me show up in my business. They see me deliver consistent value. So it's built a lot of trust. So then the relationship can, you know, transform from a potential client into a paying customer. So you have to figure out, do my leads trust me, right? If someone is a very cold lead, they've just been introduced to you, there is going to be a lower level of trust. So as you start to prioritize, who do you really want to work on? Focus on nurturing your warmer leads, focus on delivering more value, focus on showing consistently for your audience, knowing that trust takes time to build, but also it pays off so much when you do that. So the last thing I'll kind of add here is that Sometimes the thing that a client really needs is just a mindset shift. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of fear there of I really want this thing and I think it'll work, but it's just not going to work for me. And so you do not need to personally coach someone through all of their mindset fears when you are in a sales relationship with them, right? You don't have a coaching relationship with them. I'm, you know, speaking for um, coaches and clients at this point, but also let's say you're a done for you service provider. Um, you know, you don't have to coach someone through that personally, but I think what you can do is speak to possibilities and empower them and, you know, have them imagine feeling good or what it would feel like to invest in that thing. So sometimes there are mindset stories holding them back and that's the thing that needs to shift. Maybe the lead is qualified. Maybe the lead can afford it. Maybe they are a good fit, but there's just a little bit of fear there. So you know, it's obviously amazing when your people believe in you, but they need to believe in themselves too. So be a permission slip for your audience. Talk about, you know, your own personal fears around investing, you know, talk about your process, talk about working together just to build some of that trust and safety with people and just, you know, be a permission slip. Like you can be afraid and you can still invest anyway. Again, we're not pressuring people here. No high ticket uh, or high pressure sales tactics, none of that. But just being a permission slip for people. If people want to invest, they will. But you don't need to you know, push anyone or manipulate anybody. So from one CEO to another, I just want to say that people are going to be saying no to you sometimes. And that is A-OK. Um, they're going to say no, they're not going to buy. But that's just fine. You keep moving. You are always a yes for your ideal client. And they are out there. So today's episode was based on a CEO Confessions newsletter. I send these out every single Friday for free to my list. And these are stories and deep dives of you know what it means to be a CEO running a big multiple seven-figure business and just kind of giving you the lessons learned um, and the battle stories. So I just want to normalize that you can hold hard things and still get what you want. So once a month or so, I'll be sharing a recap of one of these CEO confessions on the podcast. But if you want to get these each and every Friday, go to sabrinaphilip.com forward slash CEO or sign up at the link in the show notes for CEO confessions. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Sabrina Phillip podcast. We release new episodes each and every week. So make sure to hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review. 
If you're a woman entrepreneur and you want to work with me to scale your business to six, seven, or even eight figures, send me a message because I'm currently accepting new clients. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'll see you next week.